We have been doing a series on the church. And the church is something that, um, when we say it, it, it has a lot of emotions to it. Uh, some of us, we think about great moments in our life in church. We can think about being saved, our kids being saved, uh, vacation Bible school. But on the other side of that, sometimes church can evoke the most painful memories. Uh, we've been hurt by a pastor, seen a church split, uh, uh, things happen. And so church is, is something that is very much emotional uh, for us. But it's also something that um, there's a lot of opinions on. If you were to ask people, well, what do, what do you think a church should be? Or what do you think a church should do? You're going to have lots of different answers. So for some people, the church is supposed to be the answer to everyone's problems, right? It's our job to make sure every kid's got school supplies or make sure that... Uh, every nursing home has a Sunday afternoon service or it's to do missions. And a lot of times we 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 get all of these things and ideas and, and they're not bad, but they become what is most important to us. So, for instance, we do a thing where all new employees of the school district, um, we give them a gift. We get a list from the unit office. We give them a... Uh, what do we give them, Selena? Yeah. So, yeah. So we try to let them know that we're thinking of them, uh, uh, praying for them. Uh, so that's a, a wonderful thing. But yet, on the other hand, people would say, "Well, I don't think that is the church's job. I don't think we're supposed to be doing things like that. There are more important things." But my study that we're trying to do here is trying my very best to take your feelings, my feelings, my experiences, your experiences, and line everything up with God's Word. And tonight that will be absolutely vital, is what we're going to study tonight. But I want to do two verses before we start our study tonight to show you what a successful church looks like. It looks like a church that does it God's way. And so in Acts chapter 16, verse 5, if you remember when we were together a few weeks ago, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. So God can do that. God can strengthen our faith and increase in number daily. And if you turn over on the back of that page that I gave you, down in verse 15, but if I am delayed... I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. And so sometimes people will say, well, church is just whatever you feel, whatever you want, it doesn't matter. Well, Paul tells them that no, there is a way that church should be done, a way that the church should be structured, a way that church should be lived out so that God will bless it. So that God will honor His Word and His church. Um, what we are seeing is that most churches do not die because people hate church. Churches are dying because people just don't care. It's not that they are opposed to church. They'll come when they're not busy or they'll come when it's not pretty out or they'll come when it's not camping season or they'll come when it's not horse season or they'll come when it's not... They'll, they'll come just whenever it... it this is okay. But yet I want to show you tonight that the Bible talks about the church of Jesus Christ 
as a special, special group of people. When we congregate together, it is special. Now, we know that the building is just a building. It's a tool. We're thankful for it. We're, we're blessed by it. But I want to show you here in verse 20 of Acts. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Because the first thing, if you have those notes, is that God will bless our commitment to doing things His way. But God has called men to care for His church. And if you remember, I'm just going straight from our article of the faith. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, the Bible says these words. Therefore, take heed to yourself and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which He purchased with His own blood. I want to look at this verse from back to front. In the back of this verse, it says, the church of God, which He purchased with His own blood. Now, that can be said about no other organization, no other group of people, in the entire world that has been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. That when He shed His blood, when He died upon the cross, when He took our sin, He purchased us from sin and death. And so when you think about the church, we think about it as a place to go. We think about it as people to spend time with. But it is literally a group of people that it cost Jesus His life on this earth to bring together. We don't congregate as Baptists because we agree on things. Uh, we should. But what brings us together is the fact that we were purchased at a cost. That Jesus purchased us. And um, if you're very familiar with certain churches and kind of churches like the Church of England, you were born into the church. You are a citizen of England. You're a member of the church. They go hand in hand. Same way in the Catholic church. You're sprinkled as a baby. You're brought into the church. But yet what we see here is that the church is made up of people who Jesus purchased. And so those who belong to the church are His. It has nothing to do about what country you're born in. It has nothing to do with what ritual you experience as a child. Jesus died to bring us together as a family. To bring us together as a people. And if Jesus died to make us who we are, it matters. It's not like we just signed up people on the street corner. It's not like we did a membership drive and added people to our roles. No, Jesus purchased the church. And so when we talk about people not caring anymore, when people just fitting church in at their own convenience, that's what's so heartbreaking. Because this is why Jesus died. For this group of people. And not just this group of people, but this group of people worldwide. And so it is extremely important when we view the church that we view it not as just a group of people that gets together, but literally a group of people that Jesus died for. And the only reason we are able to be a church is because He died on the cross for us. And so if His death really didn't matter, and it really was significant, then church is significant to us. Absolutely. 
And I don't believe in closed communion, like you can't take it if you're not a Baptist, but I do believe in somewhat closed communion. I, I believe that it should be stressed with people that communion is not something you just do. Yeah. 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 And I've always tried to give that warning. Absolutely. Yeah. But I've even been thinking even more than just the Lord's Supper, but just to say I'm a part of a church and then treat it like it doesn't matter. I'm just really just walking all over what Jesus did to bring me into his family. And I don't think we want to talk about that very much just because we're living in a day and age where don't talk about things because people will just, who knows what they'll do. But I think we have to return back to the significance of just how special the church is. And how it is not an optional thing. You're either in it or you're not, right? You either belong or you don't. And, um, and that, I think that's hard for some people because we grew up in a community where everybody went to church, right? Everybody at some point was either in van ministry or went to vacation Bible school with the neighbors or, you know, I can't tell you how many funerals I've done. And I do a lot of them anymore now that Brother Bud's gone and someone will say, you know, well, you know, they're 90, but they made a profession at 7. Now, I know you, you can't tell anything about it since, but, but, they, but they went when they were 7. And I don't see it so much from people my age. They're more just like it doesn't matter. But anytime I do a funeral for someone that is 80 or older and they've not been in church or there has been no evidence or a person did not exhibit any kind of Christianity, that's what they always want to go back to. They always want to talk about, well, when they were a kid, when they were a kid, when they were a kid. And uh, I believe that God can save children, and I believe that God can save you and you can backslide, but that's not what I want for my funeral to be. We're not sure, but we think. Right? I want people to see the evidence of my salvation. I want them to know that I'm uh, a person of faith, not just that I'm a church attender, but that I am living out my my faith. Because why? You're either in the family of God, or you are not in the family of God. Yeah. Well, that's why Hebrews is so special because it ties it all back together about why it all points. But I want to show you this because we've established that it's important, it's special. But then he says to shepherd the church of God. So there is a group of people who are supposed to shepherd the church. Now, we know that Jesus is the great shepherd. And we've all seen churches where uh, pastors or elders become too powerful, too controlling, that nothing can happen unless it is run through one family. That on the other side of that flip side, we have seen, and especially in Baptist churches, because we believe in the autonomy of the local church, that every member gets a vote, that there should be no authority, right? It's, I have an opinion, you have an opinion, let's fight it out to see who's right. But yet he says here that there are a group of people who are to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. And so I want to show you here that there is something significant about this. Because look what it says there in the beginning of verse 28. Therefore, take heed to yourself and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. This is giving us the identity and the idea that the Holy Spirit convicts men to enter into the ministry. 
Now, I talked to Brother John today on the phone, and uh, we were talking about seminaries are full. We have six Southern Baptist seminaries, and they have record attendance. Record attendance. But yet, on average, 30% of all Baptist churches have no pastor. They're going to seminary, but they refuse to go to churches. They refuse. I don't know what they do. Some of them go to teach. We have more and more Christian colleges. Some of them do different things like uh, they find big churches and become executive pastors and different things. But in Missouri alone, out of a thousand churches, last Sunday, uh, almost 300 were without pastors. In Illinois, the numbers are almost the same. And uh, some of you that are older 10-milers will get a kick out of this. And so I said, well, Brother John, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm driving from Springfield all the way to Salem, Missouri every Sunday. I said, what? That's like a hundred and some miles. He said, well, Oak Grove lost their pastor. And uh, they've asked if I would come and help them find a pastor. Not to be their interim pastor, but to come help their committee find a pastor. <laughs> I said, if I hear you've retired one more time. <laughs> but uh, he was saying that naturally the church had taken resumes and they were working through resumes. And he said, I got there and said, just throw them all away. He said, that is no business of how you should find a pastor. You said, you could make anything look good on a resume. He said, you need to begin to pray and to begin to search and find the man that God has called into the ministry and wants for you to be there. Just a typical Brother John story. They started at 55 and I think they had 135 in the last six weeks. So uh, anyway, I tried to get him to move back to Illinois, but he refuses. So... But this is just for like an eight-week period. But I want you to know that, that I see this from pastors all the time. I see this from men in ministry all the time. Well, I thought it would be a good career. I like to teach the Bible. I like to help people. But what we see here is talking about these elders, talking about these pastors, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which He purchased with His own blood. So not only does God call men into the ministry, God has a specific man, or if a church has elders, for that local congregation. And that is something that we've gotten away from as Baptists. We look at degrees, uh, we look at experience, uh, we look at success, but yet do we ever really get alone and say, God, we want you to raise up men who will preach the gospel. Raise up men who will be pastors. And God, we believe that you have a purpose and a plan for your church. And so I want you to hear that today because we have got to get away from professional ministry and back to spirit-led, spirit-called men of God. Uh, we, we need men that are like Elijah, like Enoch, that walk with God, that that uh, know who God is. And look what it says there in that verse, starting in verse 28. Therefore, take heed to yourself and to all the flock. He's saying that God has called you, God has brought you into the ministry for a purpose, to care for this group of people, to care for this church. And I want you to hear that tonight because all of us can probably think of pastors who have cared for their congregations very well. They were at the hospital. They were at the nursing home. I had a church member tell me one time, she goes, 
Jake, we've had a lot of pastors at Ten Mile over the years. Some were really good preachers and really bad pastors. Some were really good pastors and really bad preachers. She said, it seems like you just never can get one that does both. And I said, well, which category do I fit into? And her her comment was, well, neither. But <laughs> I was like, well, set me up for that one. And uh, But it's true, right? When you think about your life in church, you've probably thought about that, right? My mind immediately goes to Bud Seaford, right? He cared not only for his church, but for our community. And so in, in most people's eyes, that is what a pastor should be. Other people who would say, no, I don't need a pastor to do that. I need a pastor to preach and to lead and to oversee the, the church in its direction. But so who is right? But what we need to see here is, though, that God is calling people. God is setting people apart. God is placing churches and shepherds together. And we have to see the significance of that. When that relationship is broken, whether it is on the shepherd's end or the flock's end, we should recognize that we are disobeying what God is trying to do. We're really tearing asunder what God has put together. We think of that a lot in divorce, right? And what the Bible says. But yet if God calls, God sends, God brings the people, that is a grouping that He has put together. And so it's a very special grouping. And so thoughts, questions. I do. And one, I think that God has not blessed the Baptist way of getting mad and splitting. I think God blesses the Baptist way of planning new churches. But I think one, we have way too many churches that God wasn't in that. That was all them. And so I think that's a lot of it. I think a lot of it is we have churches that have not been faithful. They've either maybe not taken care of the pastors that God has sent them. And I think there are many men who got into ministry who shouldn't have been and hurt churches. And so no one can trust anybody. Pastors don't trust churches. Churches don't trust pastors. And you have this broken relationship that, I mean, you can go up until 1984 when Denny Steed came here. You can look at the list of pastors and it was two and a half, two and a half, two and a half, three and a half, two and a half, three and a half. I mean, all the way back to the 40s, back when they had the annual call and someone came at one. You can go to Blooming Grove and look at their wall of fame. They actually have the pictures of every pastor. Two and a half, three and a half, two and a half, three and a half, two and a half. I mean, literally for years. And so I think some of that is absolutely. They've hired and they didn't call. Um, and a lot of it's just been, I think, disobedience. As we're going to look over the next few weeks about what the Bible actually says that relationship is supposed to look like. Alright, 1 Peter chapter 5, because we're going to now look at what, what that looks like to be lived out. 1 Peter chapter 5. Alright. So 1 Peter chapter 5. The elders who are among you, I exhort. I am a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. And so we see here that he's talking to this group of men, these spiritual leaders of the church, and he's giving them instruction. Now, I think it's very important here because Peter, if you notice here, he says, I'm a fellow elder. He didn't say, I'm the chief apostle. He doesn't say, you know, I was, I was there, you know, in the garden. He just says, I'm a fellow servant. And so it's a sign of humility. 
And so as a spiritual leader, whether in your home or in the church, the first mark that should be about a child of God is humility. Humility. Humility as you serve. He goes on there and says, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God. And uh, this motivation, right? he says that we're humble, we're servants, we've experienced God's working in our life. But then he says, shepherd the flock of God which is among you. So once again, he's telling them to do something to the group of people that God has put there, that God has given them, which is among you. And then he begins to explain what this is. Serving as overseers. And uh, this overseer, uh, it absolutely can be a sign of administration, authority, uh, but yet shepherds were there to care for the people. Uh, and we're going to look at that here in just a moment. But it says, not by compulsion, but by willingly. Uh, Peter really here was warning against uh, being forced to do something. And not so much in the willingness of like, I don't want to, but if you've got MacArthur's commentary, you'll see that it's a laziness. Right? A, I, I have been given this position by God. Uh, I have been called to serve like this. And so, uh, look at me. Right? And we see that in a lot of areas in life, right? You know, people who you used to work with, and as they were promoted, as they were successful, they begin to think this is beneath them. That they, that they are above that position. But I think this is important to see here that um, this idea here and is, is really uh, that we shouldn't take for granted, that we should not be complacent, that we should be wanting to see what God is doing. We should want to serve. We should want to work. We should want to serve the Lord, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly nor as being lords over those who entrusted to you. So don't miss this. This group of spiritual leaders were given a group of people to be entrusted to them. Not that they saved them, not that they're the high priest or the way that you could access God, but God gives shepherds to shepherd the people, but by being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. And so not only is a pastor supposed to be humble, not only is he supposed to be an overseer, not only is he supposed to be willing to work and to serve, he's supposed to do it eagerly, not for dishonest gain. It's not about what I can get out of it. And that there is a reward for serving well. A crown of glory that does not fade away. And so I think this is important because most churches have problems because the people who make the decisions get everything out of whack, right? It's Maybe it's a church member that's been there seven generations and their family runs the church. Maybe it's a pastor who came to a small church and the church grew and they have enough supporters that they can do whatever they want now. Maybe it's something totally different. But almost all problems in church come when God's order, when God's structure, when how God expects church to be conducted gets out of whack. And so as we're looking at the church, I just really want to remind you of this. One, because it's a wonderful opportunity for you to get to hold me accountable. 
right? We only have at this point one pastor here, right? One what we would call elder. So as I'm giving you all of these instructions, you can say, F on that quality, F on that quality, B minus on that quality, and that's okay. I, it does not bother me at all because of this. Because the damage that happens when churches no longer care is much greater than we care to admit. We will never know the damage that we have seen in churches to a generation of people who have watched pastors and churches and deacons tear each other apart. We will never know. I mean, you can probably all tell stories. I can even think in my own life. I watch it all the time. Families that used to be here that aren't here. Families that were in some churches but are not in church at all. And, and a generation of kids that have been raised up. And, and what happens there? And friends, who's responsible for those decisions? The leadership that God has called and put in place in a church. You say, well, Jake, I don't want to be a leader. Too bad. God has called you and brought you here and has put you in a place of authority. He has you serving. He has you influencing people. You might not have to stand up every Sunday and scream for 40 minutes like I do, but yet you might be teaching Thursday school. You might be teaching Sunday school. You might be serving here or there. So just because these are directed to the under-shepherd does not mean that we are not all held accountable. I'm going to be held more accountable than you are, but yet all of us will be held accountable. And I just want to read this last verse and I'll open it up for discussion. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul, writing to this young pastor, says, Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. So pastors don't do it because they want to. They shouldn't do it because they think they would like to. There ought to be a call on their life as an individual and there ought to be a re... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, a collective agreement that yes, we see God's call on this person's life. That's why we have ordination services, right? Because we bring an individual forward that it feels like they're called in the ministry and we ask them questions, we make sure their faith is right, we make sure their salvation is correct, and that, that they do have a call in their life. I felt um, called uh, to preach as a young kid. And when I was a kid, I used to stand in my bedroom at my dad dresser, your dresser, and I would look at the wall, and I would preach to the wall. Now, I... It's the weirdest thing I think of looking back now. But I knew that God had a plan and purpose for my life. Well, as you can imagine, like most people that have something like that in their life, ran from it, denied it, ignored it, hid it, whatever you know. But we have to start praying as a church that God would call men into ministry. That God would call people to be missionaries that God would do what He could do and allow people to use the gift that is what? In them. Do you notice that? Do not neglect the gift that is 
in you. If all Christians have a spiritual gift, at least one, we should be encouraging people to use it. We should be encouraging people to exercise it. And so, I'll stop right there. It's really going to get fun in a second. Questions, thoughts, disagreements. Uh, you've never seen any of this before in a church at all, right? It's just a... Isn't that one of the most frustrating statements in the whole world? <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Well, I think something is very significant here. When Paul writes these letters to Timothy about church, these are not new churches. They have been churches that have been around for a few years. Uh, John MacArthur states it like this. As we look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to see the qualifications that God has designed for church leadership. This is an essential passage. Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy had been left in the city of Ephesus. Many years have passed since the Ephesian church was started by Paul, since he pastored there for three years and raised up a godly group of men, men who understood the faith of Christ, men who understood good doctrine, men who were intimately linked with Paul when he tried to leave them, they fell all over his neck, wept, and kissed him. Men who brought into Paul's life and doctrine wholeheartedly. This was a great church at one point. It was a church that God had used to found all of the other churches in Asia Minor. But, by the time Paul gets out of prison and writes this letter, the church is a mess. It's filled with false teachers. It's filled with people who were teaching lies and heresies. And so he leaves Timothy to set things in order. And I say that tonight because I'm firmly in the belief that it's time that God's people set the church in order. Now, I don't believe we can do that on our own. I believe that's the Lord's doing. But the Lord gives us His Word. And we look and say, well, our church is just a mess or this isn't the way it should be. It's no one else's fault except for ours. I was in discussion with a church this week that has recently lost their pastor and they've had lots of problems and they've had lots of problems and the money's gone and the people are gone. And uh, don't, don't, I don't know why people ask for my opinion if they really don't want it. Alright? I'm just, I'm not very smart. And I made this statement. That church will die on the vine until one person is dealt with. One person. And they said, we can't do that. Can't do it. The money, the influence. I said, then you will watch your church die because of one person. Hundreds of people. One person. You say, Jake, it can come down to that simple. One simple truth. Paul writes about individual people all the time that they had betrayed Him, that they had abandoned Him, that they had been delivered over to Satan. It absolutely can. As you can imagine, that went over about as well as I said it the first time. But we have to get back to this understanding that the church is given the privilege of being the church. We have the privilege of being in the body of Christ. And so as we find leaders for the church, and this is why it is so important for this group. I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, we have, uh, I believe, 19 deacons that help myself uh, lead this church. 
You say, well, I don't agree with that's how the church is to be structured. That's how it is. And that's how I think it should be. So, but if I were to tell you the average age of those men, and I won't, I'll just tell you some of the ages of those men. 86, 75, 75, 73, 71, 68. You start getting the idea here, right? And there's some young guys, you know, uh, 40, 30 something, 40, 39. You know, Lucas is by far the youngest one. I think that, aren't you the youngest one? Okay. If this church doesn't raise up another generation of godly leaders, and I mean the Lord raises them up, not us, but if we do not hold them accountable, we will look back and say, we allowed people to become influencers that had no business influencing others. And we have people making decisions that had no business making decisions. So while everything is great now, think not things aren't perfect, I didn't say perfect, but I said great. That could all change. Five years, 10 years, 15 years. And we're looking at our church saying, this isn't the church that I remember. This isn't the church that I love. And that will start by today taking God's Word seriously on who God raises up to lead. You say, well, Jake, I don't believe that the church should be led by people. It should be led by the Spirit of the Lord. I agree with you completely. Yeah, Jake, I don't believe the Lord should be led by man's opinion, but by the Word of God. I agree completely. But how do we exercise that in everyday conversations? Every, every quarterly in business meetings. Every Wednesday night in Bible study. Every Sunday morning in Sunday school. These things all accumulate. And so the church that we are fighting for is hopefully a church that God will bless, that God will honor. Because look what it says there in verse 16, or verse 5 of Acts 16. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. And so I just really believe that. I believe that churches rise and fall on leadership. I believe that. I believe that God, in the Old Testament, you could see it, when the nation of Israel would go astray, but yet the leaders would be godly, God would bless. Or if the leaders had went astray and the people were godly, God still blessed. But when both groups got out of whack, God brought judgment. And I really do believe that Ten Mile's best days can be ahead of them. I really do believe that. But I also believe that God's judgment could be ahead of us. He doesn't have to bless us. He doesn't have to work and move in this place. And so as we look here at the specifics, this matters for a couple different reasons. At some point, you will either have to hire someone to help me or replace me. It's just all there is to it. If the Lord tarries, you will at some point have someone else as your pastor. Now, some of you are at the age where you probably won't. It'll probably, you'll have to suffer with me until the Lord calls you home. But, oh, come on. It's just an old, older person joke. You're thinking, oh man, I never thought of it that way. That's a terrible thought. Huh? It could back. I'm okay with him coming back before that. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 is one of the most controversial passages of scripture 
in the church today. And I'm going to wade through it verse by verse, word by word. Probably not tonight because we're out of time. But literally, this is why I believe that denominations and churches are falling apart. Now, don't get Rick Warren on the phone. It's already starting, see? I want you to hear this. I know. The Episcopalian Church, the Lutheran Church, the Methodist Church, any mainline denomination is on the way down. Baptisms are down. People are down. Giving is down. They are on their way down. Baptists are on their way down in most circles. All of these denominations who have begin to compromise on who should be behind the pulpit begin a slippery slope into being obsolete. If you look at the Methodist Church, the Lutheran Church, the Episcopalian Church, when it all began to fall apart, most of the time it is when they begin to say, we don't have enough pastors, we don't have enough qualified men, so it's time to change the qualifications. Absolutely. Absolutely. And why I say that is tonight, and I'm glad you brought up Rick Warren, all jokes aside, because Baptists are on the moment where we're going to have to decide what do we believe and why. Are we going to go down the same path as all these other denominations? Are we going to trust God? Are churches like this one going to spend hours in prayer we're asking God to raise up Jeremiah's, Elijah's, the men of God to preach the word. You say, well, Jake, you're saying men a lot. Well, I'm glad that you caught that. Because starting in verse 1, I'm just going to do one verse and we're going to stop. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of bishop, he desires a good work. Now, I say this tonight. Because the word here in the Greek is masculine. It's not gender neutral. It's not if a, this is a faithful saying, if a person desires the position of a bishop, that person desires a good work. It literally means if a male. Now you say, Jake, I don't understand why God only calls men to be pastors and not women. I can't answer that for you. That's a God decision. Huh? Yes. But what I can tell you is this. The twelve apostles were all men. All of the major Old Testament prophets were men. Did God use women in the Old Testament? Absolutely. Esther, Ruth. You can read it in the New Testament. But when Paul writes 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, the two chapters that are given to the church to know how to have the church organized, he specifically addresses them in the sense of males. All of the elders that the New Testament church made in the book of Acts, all of the elders that we read about in the New Testament were all males. You say, Jake, I think that's very sexist. I think that's very much a time of the culture. Well, that might be what you believe but there is no scriptural evidence for that. You say, well, Jake, what about the prophetesses? And the, yes, I believe God can speak through women. 
I, I absolutely believe that. I believe that there should be women uh, conferences. I believe there should be women ministries. I believe all of those things. But I want you to know that I believe the Bible teaches that the man who stands behind the desk and preaches God's Word according to 1 Timothy and Titus is to be a male. And so our entire study of this is going to be from that principle. All right? Now, if you want to discuss about why you disagree with that, and and you know churches that have had good women pastors, I don't disagree with you. There are probably churches that have had wonderful women pastors. They've loved their congregations. They've prayed for them. But I can promise you that it was not according to God's Word. Because it says, if the faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. Had a person just last week said, well, Jake, I was saved under a woman pastor. Well, that's because God saves. God works. God moves. But I can promise you that just like God does not bless a church that hires a man who shouldn't be there, there will be consequences for a church that hires a woman that shouldn't be there. Absolutely. And I just want to, I'm not going to read them all just for the sake of time, but in verse 1, if a man desires a position of a bishop, he desires a good work. Chapter verse 2, he must be blameless, the husband of one wife. If you go down in verse 4, one who rules his own house well. Okay? It goes down in verse 5. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house well. Okay? Five times it references a male leadership in the home, in the church. And so, uh, I just want you to see that, that this is not a sexist, close-minded, uh, you know, because like Rick Warren said, you know, I've been a wonderful Baptist and I wrote The Purpose Driven Life and every Baptist loves The Purpose Driven Life and The Purpose Driven Youth Ministry and The Purpose Driven... doesn't matter. He's lost his way. He has compromised on what the Scripture has said. And so as we study this, and as I said, trust me, I know it's a hot-butted issue right now. But all I want is God's blessing on our church, on a generation of kids who are coming up, And if you disagree with me, I want you to know that I would love to hear from you. I would love to talk about it with you. But I want you to know that this study, it's all about what does the Bible actually say. Not what I think, what I feel. Trust me, most days I'd much rather send my wife out to deal with the wolves. But I don't. Do I think there are most situations in church that a woman can handle better? Absolutely I do. Trust me. Husbands are terrible to their wives most of the time. And they come into my office and I'm like, I can't. I don't know what to say. I'm not emotional. I'm not. But still, the Bible says it. And so we're going to look at it and let the chips fall where they may. Whew. Yeah, and we're going to look at that like how what a shepherd did, how he fed, how he protected, that, that it is. It's, it's the living this out for the flock. So God calls pastors uh, to shepherd you, to, to be there for you, to, to, to do all those things we're going to look at. And so I, just, I hope that you'll see the connection and the significance um, when we jump into this. 